Open up the First Peter. We are starting our brand new series on First Peter, and we're going to call it Living Hope. Um, First Peter was actually not the most popular book in the Bible. It's actually not even the most popular book in the New Testament. And it's probably not even the most popular book in the New Testament that is not written by Paul. Like, a lot of people, whenever you ask them, like, hey, what's your favorite verse? What's your favorite um, Bible? Or what's your favorite book in the Bible? Most people don't say First Peter because a lot of people think it doesn't apply to us today. Like, it's irrelevant to what our circumstances face every day. And that's because one of the main themes in First Peter is suffering. It, it's suffering. It, it, that's what First Peter is talking to. He's writing to a group of Christians that are going under immense suffering. And so if you ask other Christians around the world, people who live in like Iraq or China or North Korea, those Christians, you ask them, hey, what's your favorite book in the Bible? They would tell you, oh, it's First Peter. Like First Peter is our favorite because it helps us out so much. But Peter, he, he's writing to Christians who are suffering to encourage them and help them realize the hope that they have. Um, so Peter, he's writing towards the end of his life. So the, the events that we talked about in our World Changers series, about Peter and John walking in and healing the lame man and Jesus uh, rising from the dead, all that kind of stuff, this is about 30 years after that. So Peter, he's lived 30 years since then. Like that was young Peter. Now Peter is like mature and is able to actually like give us wisdom and stuff. Um, so this is about 30 years. See, this is at the end of his life. And so throughout Peter's life and the life of the early church, persecution was happening. Persecution was a problem for the church. It started with the Jewish leaders persecuting the first followers of Jesus. We saw that in the first couple of chapters in Acts of the Jewish leaders arresting Peter and John and saying, hey, no more preaching in the name of Jesus. So that's where persecution started. And eventually, like the Jews pushed all the Christians out of Jerusalem because they started arresting and killing them. That's where the Apostle Paul comes in. He's starting to do all that stuff too. So Christians are now spreading across the world because if they stay in Jerusalem, they're going to get arrested and or killed. So now they're going across the world, but now they're in different places in the Roman Empire, and now persecution is coming to them from the Roman Empire, not just the Jewish leaders anymore. And the, the emperor who was at this time of, of Rome was this guy named Nero. Nero, can you guys remember that? Nero, he was, he was a weird dude. Um, he is one of the most notorious and famous emperors of Rome. Um, do you guys even know like imp- some emperors of Rome? Have you guys ever heard of like Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus? So this this guy he, he's after those kind of people. But this guy like he is known for being really evil and really weird. Like some of the things he did is just like why would any human being do something like that? Like. I, I joke a lot about, like, some of these Bible stories can be like Netflix series. The life of Nero would be, like, rated R on a Netflix series. Like, it'd be really weird stuff. So, like, um, here's some weird stuff. Like, he was so afraid of losing his power of being in charge to his mom. He thought his mom was eventually going to take the throne away from him. That he ended up killing his mom. Like, that, like crazy stuff like that. He married this woman named Octavia, but soon, like, he didn't want her anymore. So he sent her away to exile and then ordered for her to be killed. He found a little boy. He castrated him. If you don't know what that means, don't ask me. He dressed him up like a girl and then ended up marrying him. Like, he did really weird stuff like that. Like, this was the leader in the Roman world that Peter is writing to the Christians. 
Um, and he is also the first emperor to outright persecute Christians. So in AD 64, like we believe Jesus died and rose again in AD 33. So in AD 64, 30 years later, there was um, a great fire that broke out in Rome whenever Nero was in charge. And Nero, um, it, it burned for seven days straight. Like this fire was the worst in Roman history. It burned for seven days straight. It ended up dying out. And then it came back and burned for another three days. It completely wiped out a third of the city and then damaged another third. And it mostly wiped out the Christian part of town. And a lot of people think, it's believed, that while the fire was at its peak, there's this legend that Nero, he went up on his balcony and he, ended, he began playing his fiddle while the city was burning. Like he just ended up just like enjoying the moment, like, right? Like, it's a nice night. I'm going to go out and just play my fiddle. Like, that's the kind of weird stuff that this guy did. It's also believed that Nero started the fire in order to wipe out the Christians that were living in Rome. Now, as the emperor, like, he couldn't be, he couldn't accept the blame for this. Like, he couldn't be like, yeah, I was the guy who started the fire because um, people would rebel against him. So he ended up blaming the Christians. He said it was the Christians in our city who started the fire because they didn't want us around. And then he said it makes sense because the fire started in the Christian part of town. It burnt the whole Christian part of town. So this is the beginning of the great Christian persecution in Rome. Like during this time, like Nero, he sought out Christians to persecute. They were, Christians were crucified. Christians were thrown into arenas and, and coliseums to be attacked by lions and bears because Nero thought it'd be fun to watch Christians get persecuted this, uh, this way. And this is one of the most graphic and weird things that he did. He even found Christians and he covered them in oil and, and tar and he lit them on fire alive to light the streets at night. Like this is the kind of evil that Nero did. He also arrested Christians, he imprisoned them, and he subjected them to different types of physical and psychological torture to get them to renounce their faith. He's like, tell me you don't believe in Jesus and all of this will stop. This is the kind of stuff that he did. And it was also under Nero that a few short years later that Peter would be crucified upside down and the apostle Paul would be beheaded. Like this is the guy who was in charge during those two things when those happened. And it's in this time period, and it's to these Christians that Peter is writing this letter to. Now he's writing this letter before the fire happened and before all the, the super crazy stuff happened, but persecution was still happening at a high level when Peter's writing this and Christians were feeling the suffering of this. And a lot of people, and a lot of people who are following Jesus were walking away from the faith and saying, this is not worth it. This is not what I thought it was about. So Peter, he's writing to them to encourage them. Don't lose faith. Don't give up. So we're going to go ahead and start. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
So Peter, he says who he's writing to. He says, I'm writing to those chosen living as exiles. And so the Christian that he's writing to are those who are exiles and they are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. So basically what he's saying, like he's not just writing to like a specific church or a specific city like the Apostle Paul would. Like when Paul wrote a Galatians, he was writing it to the church that was in Galatia or whenever he wrote Corinthians, he's writing to the church in, in Corinth. Peter, he's just writing to a broad group of Christians throughout the world that are facing the suffering. And they are considered exiles because they are on the fringes of society. He says, I'm writing to those who are exiled, those who are on the fringes, those who are the lowest class of the society, those who everyone thinks less of. And now whether the people he's writing to, whether they were on the fringes before they followed Jesus or not, we don't know. But we do know that following Jesus certainly did not help them gain more social status. Following Jesus didn't help them out in this world. Instead, those who followed Jesus were always thought of as less than. Like whenever you started following Jesus, it cost you. And that's because like the Christians, they were looked down upon just by regular Romans. Romans, they were loose in their sexual ethics. They lived by the flesh. They did what they wanted, when they wanted. They worshipped many false gods. They worshipped idols. And so they looked down on Christians who did not do the same things. Like if, um, if you didn't do what they did, they'd be like, yeah, you're not one of us then. So you, like, you have no part with us. When you follow Jesus, it costs you. Like you lost your friends. Like when you, when you were a Christian back then, you lost your friends. You were disowned by family members. You lost your social status. It was harder for you to find a job. It was harder for you to buy a house. It was harder for you just to go around doing everyday life whenever you chose to follow Jesus in a culture like this. But Peter also says that they are chosen. He says, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. So Peter, he's reminding them that although they are living as exiles, although they are on the fringes, although they are on the outskirts of society, that they are also chosen. God chose them. Before they could ever choose to follow God and follow Jesus, he is saying that God chose you. They are chosen, and of course, not because they are good and not because they are holy, but through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And so he's saying, like, it's the Holy Spirit that draws you to God and is convicting you of your sin and is actively making you holy. That's what it means through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We have another word for that that we use around here. It's the Holy Spirit that is helping you to become more like Jesus. And Peter says, why? Like, why did God choose you? Why is the Spirit helping you become more holy? He says it's to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Faith, following Jesus, believing in Jesus, is more than just about feeling good for being chosen. Like, it doesn't stop there. Like, I know that you're exiles, but don't worry, God chose you. It's more than just feeling good about God choosing me. Like, oh yeah, God chose me, and now I'm holy, and I'm good. Faith is more than just about that. It's also about being obedient to Jesus no matter what life throws at you. 
And that, that's what Peter's message was. He's, it's basically, even though you are suffering or being made fun of for following Jesus, keep being obedient to Jesus. Just because you're in exile, just because you're on the fringe of society, just because people think less of you now, keep being obedient to Jesus. Because God chose you, he is working in you, and he is working through you, so stay obedient to Jesus. That was Peter's main message in these first two verses. And now you might be thinking, like, like this has nothing to do with me. You may be thinking, like, this has nothing to do with, with us. Like, like I said in the beginning, like, this is not the most popular book and the most popular message because of the theme of suffering. Like, if you think about it, like, we really don't have it that bad. Like, if you, whenever you walk out and you go home and you're going through, like, maybe, like, you live in a weird part of town. Like, you go to downtown Tulsa or whatever. Like, you're not going to see Christians on fire, right? Like, that's not something that's happening. You're not going to worry about, like, when you walk out of church, they're going to arrest you just so they can throw you into a Coliseum. Like, honestly... We don't have it that bad. Like we think like everyone is really a Christian. Everyone um, goes to church. Everyone has a Bible. I believe most people are good. And most mamas are qualified for sainthood, right? Right? Like, right? yeah. Like we think, like we really don't have it that bad. And you would be right. Like we really don't. Persecution is not a thing here in Oklahoma. It's not a thing here in Kuwaita. We're not being persecuted because we live in Jesus. But that doesn't mean it won't ever come. Like, listen, like that doesn't mean that things in America won't ever get to that point. But, that, like, but that's not happening now. So let's bring this back down to what this means for us today. Like, it's not happening. We're not being persecuted. Um, it's still not here. So what does this message have to do with us? What can we take away this book in 2023? One of the things is true obedience to Jesus will always lead to ridicule in the world's eyes. And that's really what Jesus calls us to, is true obedience. Like to really follow him, to, be, to be, uh, say, like, I am uh, pledging my allegiance to Jesus. Like that is what he requires. Not just to come to church, not just to be a good person, but to obey what Jesus says. In a true obedience, like when you really follow Jesus, whenever you live in this world, it's always going to lead to ridicule. Like people are always going to, to think less of you. When you give your life to Jesus, your life will look different. That was one of our main messages in our last series. Like if you want to make a difference, then you need to live different. And whenever, like, whenever your life looks different from your past life, or whenever your new life looks different from your friends, whenever your new life looks different from your family members, they are always going to say something. That you will face ridicule. You will be thought less of in their eyes. And, um, and some, like whenever you truly follow Jesus, you will become an exile in your school, in your family group, in your friend group, in your, in your family. Like, this is just the facts. Like, whenever you say, like, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to do what he says, those who don't follow Jesus, they won't like that. Or even, especially those who say they follow Jesus, but their life really isn't living up to that, but your life is, like, that's really going to make them uncomfortable. Like, this is kind of what I face whenever I started following Jesus. 
Like whenever I started following Jesus seriously, like I didn't expect the kind of ridicule that I got, like even from my family. Like I remember coming home from church and my brother would be like, so you're just a, like a Jesus freak now? Like is that just who you are now? Or I remember like some of my friends I had in junior high, like they would call me like a Jesus freak and I'm like, like oh, you're not one of us now. Like what are you, you going to do? I get mad at us because we're sinning? Like they would say weird stuff like that. I'm like, what are you, like where did this come from? Like why are you saying this? Like I literally lost my friends that were in junior high whenever I started following Jesus. Like they didn't want anything to do with me. Whenever you follow Jesus and your life will look different, you will face some kind of ridicule. And that is to be expected. And that's because you are now following the Lord of the universe. You are ruled by a different king. You now follow a different rule of life. And so one of your friends are coming around and they're talking about the party that they just went to last weekend. Like you're probably going to be talking about the church service you just left. Whenever your friends are talking bad about somebody behind their back, you're not going to be talking bad about that person behind the back. Instead, you only have nice things to say behind the back because you deal with their conflict in person. Whenever your friends um, say, like, it's easy just to lie, whenever they just follow that, that life, like, it's easier just to lie to get ahead or to cut this corner, you're not going to because you live in the truth. Like that's always going to make them uncomfortable. Or when your friends are talking about pornography or they're talking about that bad music or that bad TV show or that bad fill in the blank, you can't relate because you don't engage with that stuff anymore. Why? Because you are chosen. Because God has chose you before you could ever choose him. He called you out of darkness and into light. And he is transforming you into his image to look more like Jesus by being obedient to Jesus. Like that is what we say is true of us. Whenever we say I am a Christian, I'm a Jesus father, we're also saying that is true of me. Like my life is different. I, I, I'm out of darkness and I'm walking in light. My old life is dead, but now I'm a new creation. My life is different. And whenever this life is true of you, it's going to cost you. Like you'll lose friends, maybe. Like you'll suffer, maybe. But Jesus is worth following. If you don't get anything out of tonight, even if it costs you, Jesus is always worth following. And so here's one of my main takeaways I want you guys to have. Don't find your identity in the things that you are losing or in the way the world says you are. Let me reiterate. Like, don't find your identity in the things you're missing out on or the things you're losing. Like, oh, now I'm the person that can't sit at that table. Now I'm the person that doesn't get invited to those things. I'm the person who, who can't relate to the things of the world. Don't find your identity in being an exile. Peter acknowledges and he calls us exiles. He says, I'm writing to those exiles who are dispersed. But notice Peter uses that secondary. He doesn't say that's our identity. He doesn't say that's who we are. Now we are exiles and that's how we have to live. That's how we have to view ourselves. He addresses his audience and us as chosen, living in exile. Being in exile isn't your identity. It's just a temporary place. It's just a place that we happen to find ourselves in. Instead, our first and foremost, our identity is, the, is how God sees us, which is chosen. 
Like that's who we really are. God shows us and we just happen to be in a state of exile. We, our identity isn't wrapped up in not being around those people and those friends. Our identity is not wrapped up in I used to live that life. Your identity is now like, no, you are new. You are chosen. You are a new creation. This is your identity. That's who you are. That's how God sees you. And that is what truly matters. And the only way, and this is why it's important that Peter says chosen, living as exiles. Because the only way to get through temporary suffering is by realizing who God says you are. Like, how does God see me? How does God view me? Because if I know how God views me, then it doesn't matter what that person across the hall views me. It doesn't matter what my old friend thinks about me. It doesn't matter what even when I go home and my parents who aren't Christian, it doesn't matter what they're going to say when I get home because I know how God sees me. God created me. He, he rules my life. That's what matters. And that's the only way to get through a life of suffering. In him, we are God's children. And in him, in Christ, nothing can stand against us. I'm going to go ahead and ask Matthew to come up for the keys. Let's make it a magical moment. I'm going to read a verse or a passage that you guys have probably heard before. But I want, I'm going to slow down. I want to read the whole thing. And I want you guys to notice what stands out to you. Here is what Paul says in Romans about how important our identity is in this life. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. And he is also at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. So who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written that we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. That's really encouraging, Paul. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying that because our identity is in Christ, it doesn't matter what life throws at you. For Peter and, and the, the, the first century Christians, and even the Christians around the world today, those who are living in, in persecuted countries, they could face true, real danger because they knew who they were in Christ. If God is forced, then who can be against us? It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say. But for us... We can live faithfully to Jesus because we know who we are in Christ. It says, because God gave his own son for us, that's what Paul said in the beginning, 
because Jesus died, because he rose again, and most importantly, because he is also seated at the right hand of God right now, interceding and praying for us, because of all those things are true, then nothing can separate you from your true identity in God. I don't want to rush past that part. Paul said that Jesus is now seated at the throne in heaven, interceding for us. That means he's actively praying for us. He's interceding. He's saying, God, protect them. God, give them boldness. God, give them power. God, send them more of your spirit. Help them out, God. He is interceding for us. And because those things are true, then you can follow Jesus freely and more boldly because God is with you. You can follow Jesus without fear no matter what's going to take place, no matter what your friend is going to think, no matter what is going to happen at school or at your house, you can follow Jesus without fear because he is in heaven praying and interceding for you. You might be living as exiles when you truly surrender to Jesus, but don't forget that you're chosen beforehand, that God chose you, that he loves you, he has a plan for you. He wants you to be obedient to him, but it's going to cost. With every head bowed and every eye closed.